Oh, hey there. Come on in. We're just about to start. Welcome to My Wife the Dietitian, a fun weekly podcast about nutrition and healthy lifestyle. I'm Rob, and together with my wife, Sandra, we invite you to join us on this informative and entertaining journey through the complex world of healthy eating. Join us each week as we strive to help you with transforming your overall health and relationship with food through up-to-date, evidence-based nutrition information. talking today about the cutting edge field of nutrigenomics, eating for your genes and DNA. It's all very well for me to say, well, you've got this gene, but I want to know, can I do something about it? Are we testing genes that I can then go back and give feedback to patients and say in a holistic way, well, these are the types of foods you need to be including, and these are the changes in lifestyle you need to be making so that we can control the environment part. So the equation is genes plus environment equals health. The genes I can't really change, I can change my environment. And that's where the power comes in. That's the whole beauty about it. You can definitely optimize your health based on understanding what environmental changes you need to make. South African trained dietitian Helit Milner from Sunrise by HM joins us today for this fascinating discussion. Stay with us. Welcome to My Wife the Dietitian. Hello, Sandra. Hi, Rob. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good, good. We have a pretty exciting interview today with uh, Halit Milner from South Africa, a dietitian from South Africa. And she's talking about... Um, Nutrigenomics? I, yeah. I've, I still got to wrap my head around these words, but super interesting, super fascinating stuff. Um, it's all about your genes and how your genes sort of... Um, like getting a blueprint of your genes and then using that blueprint to determine what your like nutritional needs are. It's yeah. kind of, right? Yeah, I have a quote actually. Can I read this quote? Because it kind yeah. of gives a good summary from Matt Dawson, MD, Wild Health. And it's kind of uh, summarizes what we're going to discuss with Halit today. We all know you are what you eat, except it's more complicated than that. Every bite of food is a signal you're sending your genes to turn on or off, controlling your body composition, health, and longevity. If you care about your health, you will listen to this episode to hear all about what Halit has to say about nutrigenomics. Yeah. And then what's the other one called? Uh, the culinary? Culinary nutrigenomics. Yeah. And that's about how to prepare your food in order to get the best nutritional benefits from it. Exactly. Sort of. I'm nowhere near as good at explaining this as Halit, so maybe we'll just bring her out and have her explain all of this to you. Yes, that's great. Let's talk to her. All right. Good morning, Halit. It's uh, Sandra and Rob. We'd love to talk to you and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you help your audience and your clients. Thank you. Thank you so much to you and Rob for having me. I'm very excited about this talk. So I am a registered dietitian. I qualified in South Africa and I now live in Israel. And I really do believe in holistic health. And I try to allow my patients to understand that health is like a big puzzle made up of little different puzzle pieces. And, and we do ourselves and our health injustice if we're only looking at one part of the puzzle. Um, so for all, all the little different pieces, 
could be our genetics, it could be our gut health, it could be our lifestyle, the food that we're eating, the medication that we're on, the amount of sleep that we're having. But in order to really understand what our body needs on a deeper level, I like to explain to my patients or I like to allow them to do a genetic test so that they can see what might be happening on a cellular level in the body. And then we can really work on preventative, personalized nutrition and work from a cellular level all the way out rather than from outside in, which perhaps maybe is the way we've been trained in the past, you know, calories in versus calories out. And and that's really what, what we used to look at. But the, the picture is much more and wider in today's day and age. And it's important to be able to look at everything holistically. That's really neat. Is that And that's it, genomics, is that what that's called? Yes. So, so there's two sides to it. So nutrigenomics, if you break down the word nutrigenomics, it's your nutrition and genomics. Okay. It's basically what nutrigenomics is, is understanding your genetic makeup and how it might increase your risk for certain chronic diseases or how you potentially break down certain nutrients or what your genetic makeup would tell you about um, your exercise potential and and much, much more. And the flip side is um, nutri- sorry, nutrigenetics is when you actually understand your genetics and your risk for certain chronic diseases and so on, whereas nutrigenomics is understanding what nutrients and what food compounds or what we call bioactive compounds, which are compounds which we find in foods, can actually manipulate or change the behavior of our genes. So our genes are our genes. We cannot change, unfortunately, right? Because some of us are, are not really dealt with a good a good deck of cards. But <laughs> we, we cannot change our genetic coding per se. But what we can do, and we know through research, is that by changing our environment and our lifestyle and particular foods that we eat and perhaps adding particular supplements, we can change the behavior of our genes. We can switch certain genes on that we want to be more active. For example, genes that are involved in detoxification or antioxidant pathways. And we can also switch certain genes off, like genes that are involved in pro-inflammatory pathways. And this can all be done through lifestyle changes through the foods that we eat through the types of exercise that we do and through supplementation as well wow Wow, that's that's so interesting it is really interesting it's uh it's just so um there's new information all the time and this is really getting like cutting edge in my opinion yeah for sure it's amazing like like a total scientist you know, like, <laughs> me. You know, it's uh, <laughs> there's so many different sides to being a dietitian, and this is definitely yeah. a very science based side of it. Hey, it's uh, yeah, it is very, and, and I think you have to you sort of have to understand um, different biochemical pathways, right? So that's why I'm so passionate about it because our body's not just made up of you know the skin and the muscles and the things that we see, but in every single cell, there there lots of different physiological and biochemical pathways that are taking place all the times and there's enzymes which carry out these chemical reactions now what makes enzymes it's a protein and genes actually contain the coding needed to make enzymes so the coding is sitting in your genes it's almost like the coding needed to make little lego blocks and then the lego blocks need to be put together to make proteins now when there's errors or small errors in that coding it can either have a big effect on the way the protein functions or it has a little effect but sometimes when you have many 
little effects added up together plus a suboptimal environment that can result in a chronic disease. And that's really what we're looking at. We're not looking at um, what we call high penetrance genes that if you have a change in one gene coding, you, you're going to get breast cancer like the BRCA gene or, or one of those big diseases. But we do look at little genes which then accumulate, right? If there's, if there's problematic genes that accumulate in a particular area that, and that interacts with a suboptimal environment, like perhaps eating a lot of processed foods or a very high stressful environment or not sleeping appropriately, then that can actually switch on or awaken genes that you don't want to be activated. Like uh, cancer, different types of cancer genes possibly? Yeah, definitely. So we always think, you know, I've got a lot of patients who come to me and they'll say, you know, I've got a family history of breast cancer. I've tested for the BRCA gene. So I know that I'm not going to get breast cancer. And it doesn't really work that way, unfortunately, because the BRCA gene may be a family of genes that are what we call, the, as we said, the high penetrance genes, where, yes, if you don't have the BRCA genes, you've got a significant reduction in the risk. But there are still a lot of genes involved in sex hormone breakdown pathways, like um, the correct breakdown of your steroid hormones, the estrogen that needs to then be excreted efficiently from the body or um, genes that are involved in detoxing. You know, we're surrounded by toxins all the time. The foods that we eat contain toxins, even our genes that are responsible for antioxidant processes in the body. And if, and if those are, are not behaving appropriately and we then sort of, you know, putting them in, a, in an environment where they're not so happy, that in, in and of itself can increase your risk for cancer and also breast cancer. So it's not as black and white as, well, you know, I've done the BRCA gene test and, and I can't get breast cancer. Right. Okay. And, and on the other hand, if someone has the gene and if yes. they can optimize their lifestyle and reduce the toxin load and have lots of antioxidants, can that help with reducing their risk of developing it? even if it's written in their genes? Yes, without a doubt. And the beauty about, you know, and when you when you find a test that is a really good test and um, they test genes that have been really well-researched and that have like a good scoring in terms of their weighting on a particular pathway and they're only including genes that you can actually do something about. Otherwise, you know, to include them in the test, it's all very well for me to say, well, you've got this gene, but I want to know, can I do something about it? Are we testing genes that I can then go back and give feedback to patients and say in a holistic way, well, these are the types of foods you need to be including and this is the changes, these are the changes in lifestyle you need to be making so that we can control the environment part. So the equation is genes plus environment equals health. The genes I can't really change, I can change my environment. And that's right. where the power comes in. That's the whole beauty about it. You can definitely optimize your health based on understanding what environmental changes you need to make. Love it. Yeah. A typical patient, are they going to come in and you sort of run a full screen on them kind of thing? Or are you looking for one specific issue? Like how, how does that part work? Yeah. So there's different, there's different testing companies and some of them will divide the genetic testing into panels. So like hormone breakdown panel or perhaps even weight management panel. I prefer to be able to either combine those panels or use a test um, which really tests for a whole variety of pathways because that actually gives you 
quite a holistic picture or quite a holistic picture on what's what might actually be going on right in the patient's body let's say for example you've got a woman aged 45 and she's really struggling with weight loss so it could be perimenopausal it could be all the hormonal changes there could be you know different factors or environmental factors or maybe she's had a few children that have impacted her weight but for me to just go and do a genetic test to see what genes are influencing her energy balance, her ability to utilize fat stores, to burn fat, her fat storing mechanisms, her appetite and satiety genes, that's one thing. But as I always say to my patients, if you've got genes that are increasing inflammatory processes in your body and there's a lot of inflammation, or you're not potentially detoxifying toxins appropriately, those toxins can also sit in your fat cells and stop your fat cells from being broken down. So you want to get a full picture of what's actually going on so that you, it's almost like genes are not the be all and the end all, but it's an important part of the puzzle because it stops the guesswork. You can say to a patient, right, well, you know, there's a signpost here. It's telling me to go left. This is where we're going to go. I've got a bit more direction as to what I need to investigate more. And then it's always important to back up the genetic test with, perhaps other testing like a, a Dutch urine test or blood work because just because you've got a genetic variation doesn't mean that gene is expressing in your body. So you want right. to investigate further to make sure that, you know, you might have the potential risk, like my, my genes look terrible. I mean, they really look terrible. I mean it. I've got like every <laughs> single variation that you can think really? of. It's, they're really bad. If, some, if one of my patients would get their genetic test because it's color-coded and they just see like dark purple, that, that would be my genetic test. I think they would run in the other direction. But, <laughs> but, but it doesn't necessarily mean that those genes are currently expressing. So maybe it's because I'm still young and maybe later on I might be suffering with it or maybe those genes will be latent forever just because of my environment. So right. it is important to back it up. But I always feel the more... Look, the more information one can get about anyone, that's why it's important to do a very extensive a dietary assessment or a medical assessment or a gut health assessment because the more information you have, the more you can really create a very personalized plan for someone. Wow. I guess it's a little like getting your blood work done, right? But it's just dif different information, but sort of getting some um, statistics and information that you can then sort of form a plan on. Yeah, you're filling in the missing gaps. And often, we're poking in the dark, we we using, you know, patient's history, and we using what previously worked and didn't work. But how are we to know if, you know, they actually struggling with histamine sensitivities, and we're giving them a lot of foods that are healthy, but they're high in histamine. And right. that's maybe what's waking them up at three o'clock in the morning, because they're having some form of an inflammatory allergic response, which is commonly confused with menopause right with the hormones of menopause that wake you up at three o'clock in the morning maybe oh, it's okay. an overload of histamine so it just gives you a bit more direction to say hey okay there might be a little bit of a problem with this let's let's look here let's turn down this road rather than going down the same road we've been down before and it and it's just not working for you yeah for sure hey i have a question yeah um, when you said that uh just with your own panel was that on one company's testing diagnostic or is it like you've done it in other companies too so i've done it i've done my tests with two companies um okay. and it's similar results obviously okay. because they test they're testing similar genes some some tests that test different genes might have a different result and also the one company that I work with 
very, very often, and they're also based in the States. I don't know if we can mention company names or not, but they are very good tests. So I don't, I don't mind promoting them. They call 3X4, 3, like th- they call themselves 3x4, but it's 3X4 genetics. Oh, okay. And they really... They train their practitioners. They've got a really great like network of practitioners. They've got lectures every week. But their test, so when they upgraded their test, because I started with them right in the beginning, and they, and they used they used a particular test, and then they added more genes. And they only add more genes once they really research them very well. But it's interesting that when they added more genes, the picture of my test, the, the colors from low risk to medium to high, changed a lot really because they added in new tests so your genes are your genes and you probably don't have to test it again right your genes aren't going to change but yes when there's new information and new genes and with the you know the human genome sequencing and the genome wide association studies that they're doing they're discovering new genes all the time so I would imagine that in 20 years' time, a test like that would look different because they would be including other genes that they've discovered that actually does have a big impact on your health. I see. Okay. Oh, that is so interesting. Oh, my gosh. Um, Can I just interrupt for a sec, Sandra? What's the, what's the process for collecting the, the sample, I guess? Is it, is it through blood yeah. or is it any kind of DNA? So, it's a mouth, so it depends which test, but generally it's a, a mouth swab, like a, 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 a spit sample that right. you do with like almost like an earbud, like, you know, the COVID tests that yep. we're all so familiar with. Um, and it's you just put it in your mouth, like up and down, and they basically get a sample from your cheeks, and then you put it in a liquid. They send it off to the labs, and then within a few weeks you get your results. And some of the tests out there are direct to consumer, and and some of them one has to go through a practitioner, which I do recommend. It's better to go through a practitioner because number one, you can get the correct advice, and number two, you're not reading something that scares you on a page that shouldn't really be scary at the end right, of the day. Right. So someone like is there to, to explain it to you 100%. Right. And there's lots of different tests. There's like genetic ancestry. I mean, you know, there's a lot of different tests that people can take. But yeah, I think there are a few good tests like DNA analysis. I mean, there's a lot of good tests out there. And there's ones that aren't as good. The one thing I want to say is it's important when someone does do a test is that they don't you cannot draw a conclusion based on one gene. Right. That's very important for me to mention because there are a lot of tests there that will just test one gene in a detoxification pathway. And if there's a variation on that gene, they'll draw the conclusion that they have poor detoxification. But a physiological process has many steps. So you can't really with these tests have single gene-based conclusions. It's important mm. to look at the whole picture together. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So I just want to roll back a little bit. So nutrigenomics, what does culinary nutrigenomics mean? Yeah, so culinary genomics is an, an amazing, amazing area, which I absolutely love. <laughs> and, it's li- and it's linked to the nutrigenomic side. So in terms of what foods should I be including on my plate? How do I need to prepare those foods in order to optimize particular nutrients or ingredients that are then going to have this food gene conversation because your food is conversing with your genes it's it's telling it to you know get its act into gear or it's telling (laughs) it to like slow down a little bit so a good example and I can give you a good few examples so 
from from a pro-inflammatory perspective, when we're looking at our genes that are making these inflammatory proteins, or like, I like to call them these inflammatory soldiers, inflammation is is an important thing that we have. It's an important response that we have in our body. If we didn't have you know, our inflammatory soldiers or our immune soldiers to fight a war, we would constantly be sick and our, our bodies wouldn't survive. Right. But the main thing with inflammation is that we want the body to, you know, give these physiological processes or these enzymes or the genes the message that we've already, you know, we've won the battle, we've killed the enemy, and we need the soldiers to pack up and go home. There's no use of them standing around and still like firing and causing a fire because it's just <laughs> disruptive to the body, right? It just causes more damage. So sometimes when we have variations on inflammatory genes, they don't have the message to switch off and to stop making these inflammatory soldiers. If we look at the food that we eat, we can get certain nutrients like omega-3 fatty acids, which are found very potently, specifically the EPA and the DHA, which is found in our oily fish like salmon or tuna, trout, sardines, pilchards. And that EPA and the DHA goes to our master inflammatory conductors in our body called TNF-alpha and NF-kappa-B. And it says, right, please give the message to all of your inflammatory genes that they need to shut down, that they need to switch off. They need to take these like big horse pipes of water and put out the fire. It's enough. <laughs> so it's quite a powerful message that they get when you are including omega-3 fatty acids. The same goes for what we call the bioactive ingredient. Now a bioactive ingredient is a non-nutritive component, which we find doesn't, it doesn't have a caloric value. It's not oh. a protein or a carb or a fat. It's okay. just a compound that we found in our food that can actually have that food gene conversation. So turmeric has a bioactive compound known as curcumin. And that too goes to these master inflammatory conductors and tells them to downregulate and give the message to the rest of the inflammatory genes to switch off. Right. Oh my goodness. That's one example. The other example is your dark green leafy veg and your cruciferous vegetable, what we like to call the cabbage and the broccoli and the cauliflower. Now specifically broccoli, that has the potential to create a bioactive compound known as sulforaphane. And I'm, I'm sure no one's heard of it. I mean, it's like quite a tongue twister, but <laughs> sulforaphane is really potent. And why I wanted to mention it is it's very important for sex hormone breakdown and for good detoxification and for hormonal balance. And especially for females over the age of 40, it's an important thing to be including all these greens. But the trick is, is that the sulforaphane isn't found naturally in the broccoli. And this is where culinary genomics comes in. How do we prepare the food so that we can make sure we are optimizing the food gene conversation? So we need to cut the broccoli like, or chew it or chop it. And that actually activates the enzyme which makes sulforaphane. Oh, so that's really an important step. Now, what happens when we cook the broccoli and we boil it or steam it or roast it for like 45 minutes? we putting heat on the broccoli and we destroying the enzyme because enzymes are heat sensitive. So if you haven't chopped it beforehand, you are probably reducing the potential to make that compound sulforaphane. And then you're not optimizing its potential for detoxification and sex hormone breakdown. So including these foods raw, like cabbage raw, or maybe using the 
broccoli florets and sprinkling it raw on top of a salad or chopping up the cabbage or the cauliflower or the broccoli and waiting a bit for 60 to 90 minutes so that you can actually create this compound and then adding it to a stir fry where you're using a quick short cooking method these are the are good ways to be including it or even including like raw broccoli in a smoothie or raw cauliflower in a smoothie the cauliflower will make it more more smooth the broccoli would probably be quite bitter for those who don't tolerate bitter tastes but i've never thought of that yeah that's interesting huh i'll have to try that <laughs> so that's the culinary genomics it's allowing you to translate your genes onto onto your plate it's your next step right i've got my genes but how do i translate this information onto my plate and how do i prepare the food in order to optimize its potential to actually speak to my genes that's really useful information. There's so many people I bet that are, you know, they're eating bucket loads of broccoli, but they're cooking it and they're like, you know, it's, it's not having any effect. Yeah. And there's, and there's the trick, so many. The trick would be to cut it first and leave it for 60 to 90 minutes and then cook it. <laughs> and then it, cook it for a short time, preferably, right? Right. Yeah. But you, you have already created the sulforaphane, so you probably don't have as much of a loss there if you did okay. want to roast it. Interesting. But in general, for vegetables, you know, the shorter cooking methods are probably more beneficial. Right. Wow, that's so interesting. You learn something new every day. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, So when, when Rob said that they don't notice anything, I don't know if you would notice anything. No, I don't. Yeah, I'm just... I'm just wondering. I, I'm just... I'm, it's actually more of a question yeah. to... Yeah. Okay. So... So it's a good question because I think patients come to you with a lot of symptoms and the way to actually track progress would be, there's, there's a few ways, right? In terms of gut health also, we're working on like the, the, the microbiome, which has got like a whole genome of its own. Um, so we're looking at symptoms of the gut because detoxification is also involved. Gut health is also involved in detoxification because the third phase is getting out the toxins from your stool, right? Mm. Um, in terms of other symptoms, like depending on what their pathway is, perhaps maybe they're struggling with inflammatory problems or aches or pains. Maybe they're undergoing certain medical treatments or they've got kidney problems or they're suffering from autoimmune diseases. And by sorting out the underlying inflammatory problem, they might have less symptoms in terms of their autoimmune disease or any other pains that they're going through or recovery through exercise. So there's definitely symptoms that one can track. There's blood work that one can track. And then there's also more functional testing like organic acid testing and Dutch tests to see what the improvement is. Energy levels, you know, there's certainly things that patients can report. For example, detoxification. Sometimes patients can experience bad skin because the toxins are dumping into their skin or headaches because it's dumping into the head and they're suffering from migraines. So if patients are coming to you with these problems and you're seeing these pathways, then definitely tracking their symptoms would be applicable. And it, and it takes time. Sometimes patients feel the relief immediately. But remember, you're working on deeper, you know, on a metabolic level. It's not as simple as saying, well, here's a meal plan, follow it, and you should be losing like two to three kilos in two weeks. It doesn't, it doesn't really work that way. Right. It's not like a medication. It's more yeah, of a so process. It can, take, it can take a few months, but they, de they definitely should be feeling better. They should be seeing a difference um, in how they're feeling and their symptoms that they're coming to with. And often that's where we start. So even if a particular genetic pathway is 
I suppose, lit up in purple to say that it's somewhere we need to focus on, but that's not really their symptom or what they're struggling with or their priority at that moment, then we put, we put that on the shelf and we deal with it at a later stage, but we look at how we can really help the patient with what they're struggling with at that particular point. Oh, I see. So you prioritize what the, uh, the patient's symptom is and what they really want to fix and change because it's, it's annoying, it's, it's something that's bothering them, and help with that symptom and then put the other um, kind of red flags on the back burner and work on those later. Definitely, unless those red flags are contributing to the bigger picture of why they feeling those symptoms in the first place, which often it actually is, you know, the test is divided into cellular pathways and into systems, which includes cholesterol and memory and brain health and mood and behavior. But often what we find is the cellular pathways, that's that's working upstream. That's like when but when you were a kid, like before you jumped on the tube and floated down the river, it's like what's happening right at the top. You're not looking at, okay, now I floated down the river and I'm presented with high blood sugar levels and I'm not feeling good. You don't want to you don't want to treat the symptom. You really want to look at the cause. And often it's the cellular pathways or what's going on in the cellular pathways, like inflammation or antioxidant pathways or detox that we generally look at first because that would have a domino effect into all the other things that they are probably feeling and experiencing at the time. Yeah, that's really good advice and so often overlooked, like to focusing on the cause and not the symptom. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's really, wow. It's uh, there's it's so deep. Like there's just so much to it. <laughs> and it's just like, it's kind of reframing our whole way of looking at food and looking at health and how to, you know, impact your what's happening, like the gene expression with certain uh, nutrients and certain um, enzymes that your body can produce or not produce. Like it's just, mm. it's such a huge, it's a huge field, like in the, for the future of um, yeah. nutrition. Like I just, you're on the cutting edge, I think with your <laughs> programs. Yeah, <laughs> so no, I love sure. your website. Very, it's amazing. Very exciting. <laughs> That's very exciting. And what I do, what I also feel is, I mean, I think working with a lot of patients is it's always calories in versus calories out and people struggle a lot with emotional eating. And this gives a lot of color, both literally and figuratively to your plate. You're not focusing on, you know, how much starch should I be having or what's my port? Yes, with portion sizes and things, those are still relatively important for some patients. But I think it makes, it gives food more meaning. It makes it much more colorful and I know why I'm including particular foods on my plate. It's not necessarily because I can't eat a starch or I'm trying to restrict my calories. It's because oh, this is good for inflammation and I've got my food that's good for detox and I've really got my food that's going to help me with my gut health. And it allows you to normalize food and it makes food more exciting, both in its taste, but also in its meaning. Which, which to me is very important when people are also on a journey of trying to heal their relationship with food. That makes a lot yes. of sense. Absolutely. No, that's amazing. And I mean, just the whole idea of savoring food and slowing down and mindful eating, I think that probably helps with the whole process because you're actually going to be <clears throat> chewing the food more um, thoroughly and helping with the breakdown so that uh, like just when you said about the broccoli, um, 
the cutting or the chopping or the chewing. And that all helps. Like if we slow down, if people have reflux or they're getting gut problems because the indigestion, possibly because they're on the hamster wheel of life and they're not really being mindful of their eating. I think it's all part of the puzzle, eh? Yeah, definitely. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Um, Now, Rob, is there any questions that you had that came up from um, all this information that Hilid has uh, talked about? I think we kind of covered it as we went along. I I can't think of anything else uh, at the moment. Maybe round two. We'll uh, we'll have a new set of questions. For <laughs> I mean, you the, second, this... the second, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, We're definitely going to have you back. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> There's so much to talk about, and the you know the topics are endless. And you look at, you know, um, the human connectivity and how that affects your gene behavior. It's it's really it's it's a tree that just has a lot of roots and a lot of branches, and it's it's wonderful. It really is wonderful. I love your analogies and metaphors because it really <laughs> helps to draw a picture in our mind of like what you're talking about. And it really, it's uh, I can tell that you speak to a lot of clients in your work and patients because you have to kind of, uh, this is very scientific, as Rob said, information and to kind of distill it down to something that makes sense for, for people is just, uh, it's um, really critical in this kind of explanation. So for sure, <laughs> so, for sure, <laughs> not to overwhelm people. Yeah. Exactly. And do, um, sorry. sorry, I do have one question. Um, yeah, is this is this kind of becoming more mainstream, or is this sort of a specialty thing still that you know you have to pay for? And and do, do you know what I mean? Is it uh, is it moving in the direction of mainstream, or is it? Uh, still relatively a speciality i also think not all practitioners are trained in nutrigenomics and maybe some are but there's some that are really like specialists in that area i think it is becoming more available and there are definitely more and more tests popping up on the market without a doubt especially in the states and canada and it's i think also becoming more available from a medical perspective where there's conversations in different countries. I know also coming from South Africa, they were starting a conversations for different countries for health insurance to be, you know, to consider paying for, for such a test because it is right. almost, it's functional tests that generally health insurance doesn't cover. Right. But, you know, there's obviously the ethics behind where, how they're going to use that information in terms of your insurance premium, but it would be stupid for them not to be covering this because it's allowing us to, reduce risk and reduce their costs. So it should be coming, it should be coming more accessible to the public. It should be yeah. something that's more accessible. It seems well, like I, a pretty logical, logical test. And Sorry, go um, ahead. Go ahead. with our local uh, cancer clinic, they just started our the genetic testing for family right. members and for hormone hormone related cancers especially. But uh, it just they just got this department up and running in the last Amazing. five years or even three wow. years. So yeah. it's just starting, and it's I mean, there's so much information now about genetics and cancer and having, like you said, the BRCA gene. Mm. Um, for breast cancer and just to know that, uh, you know, there is some 
help in terms of counseling for family members. But I don't think at this point they are using any nutrigenomics in their conversations. There's nothing yeah. about what to do other than just general, you know, healthy eating guidelines. Yeah. Okay. And it, I think it is still very new and it also depends where you are. I mean, I, in South Africa, it was really growing. This, you know, the speed of the tests and people, the awareness was growing, whereas I've come to Israel and people don't know about it. And when there are genetic tests, they're not that great. And they're not talking about, they're talking about nutrigenetics, but not nutrigenomics. So the food side of things. So mm-hmm. I definitely think it's a space that's going to grow. Um, and I think it's a space that's also, again, like starting to work in like the personalized preventative space, which I think is being is really growing. I mean, in 20 years time or 30 years time, I do see it being a big area where people are going to be focusing their, you know, all their knowledge and their, their energies and efforts in. Yeah, Absolutely. I can see it moving that way. That's, uh, like I said, it's really good to have that blueprint to start from it. It makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a blueprint, like you said, it's. That's exactly what it is. I mean, and some of the genetics tests will will market them as you're getting your genetic blueprint, you're getting your blueprint to you, to your health, you know, and that's exactly what it is. Incredible. Well, one final question we have um, that we ask all of our guests and uh, we are compiling some recipes for like a cookbook to put together. Um, So when you go to a potluck, what is your Mm. favorite dish that you bring? That's a, that's a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> I would probably say if I was going to a potluck, I wouldn't be cooking like a whole protein. I'd probably be bringing some salad of sorts, but I would probably be doing like a mixture. So either like a, probably like a cabbage, carrot, apple and fennel salad. Um, Cause the fennel's got a bioactive known as quercetin, which is a good antioxidant as does the apple. The cabbage has got that detox power, which we want, the sulforaphane. Um, And I would probably sprinkle a little bit of apple cider vinegar on top for for some gut health and some seeds and nuts, so maybe even some walnuts for your omega-3 fatty acids for your inflammatory. So ticking all the the cellular boxes. Nice. (laughs) Wow, that was the coolest explanation of a salad I've ever heard. No kidding. That was awesome. And Rob's excited. I can tell because we um, we have apples here and there's also fennel that's great. It grows like weeds in our garden and I keep removing it, but it just smells so licorice It's so delicious, right? It's amazing. It's It's delicious. I'll I'll send you my recipe. I've got on my blog an apple, fennel, carrot, and pomegranate salad, which is very fresh and delicious. Sounds amazing. (laughs) Sounds delicious. Yeah, I'd love to I'd love to see that. That would be great. Maybe we'll add that to the recipe book, Rob. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming. Such a pleasure. Yes. Wow. And I know you're in a different part of the world and you're, it's like bedtime for you. And we've just woken <laughs> up here early in the morning for us. And um, wow, we just, as Rob said at the start, you are the furthest away, our, our guest interview, who is like on the other side of the earth. So it's so <laughs> such a pleasure to have you and that we were able to connect today. And uh, your information is going to be such a um, wealth of knowledge for people. And your website and the blog, I will definitely point people in that direction. 
Sunrise. Sorry, what is the, what is the website? So the website is Sunrise by HM, and my Instagram handle is also at Sunrise by HM. The thinking behind it is, what do you need to do for your body, mind, and soul to be the best you that you can to watch tomorrow's sunrise? So it, it doesn't what? have dietitian in it, but the, that's the thought behind it. <laughs> I love it. it. I love it. Basically, like uh, you want to wake up the next morning and you want to keep living your life to the fullest. And how do you do that by eating well and living your life? Oh, I love it. 100%. That's awesome. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful and lots of fun to chat. Yeah, we'll do it again for sure. I would love that. Appreciate you. uh, Yeah, make the time for it. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Elite. We'll talk soon. Bye. (laughs) bye Bye bye-bye well that was super fascinating hey wasn't it oh my gosh yeah yeah it's just so interesting how many different versions of nutrition and dietetics there are like that's just super science like the science end of things yeah it's also art like because of the cooking the culinary genomics yeah true and you know chopping your broccoli for a certain amount of time and leaving it before you cook it and yeah, all that. yeah. And making like cauliflower smoothies yeah that's cool and I, I like that she knew like oh like adding cauliflower will make it like smooth and creamy and and i'm like oh wow there's, there's like There's some pluses to adding cauliflower to your smoothie. Plus, it gives you that uh, cruciferous vegetable, which you should have every meal almost. Yeah. So there you go. Add it to your smoothies. (laughs) I never would have thought of that ever, ever. (laughs) So yeah, check it out. Uh, Sunrise by HM, which is uh, Helit Milner, a dietitian uh, trained in South Africa. And her website is awesome. And you can book... uh, consults through that and courses and demonstrations cooking demos and a whole bunch of uh, services that she offers yeah that's uh definitely worth checking out i'm gonna i'm gonna have to have a peek at that too because it's it's really interesting stuff yeah eating for your genes right on so what do we got coming up next week oh next week we are we're talking to rochelle inwood dietitian about the book she just wrote on keto eating and the keto diet. No, I've never heard of it. (laughs) Keto, is that something new? That'll be interesting, eh? Yeah. Yeah. It's not new, but... uh, I'm just just joking. I mean, how can you not hear of keto? It's everywhere. It's on every magazine cover and everyone talks about keto everything. So it'll be pretty interesting to get some actual science-based facts on the keto diet. Yeah. And Rochelle has um, done a deep dive with this topic because of her own interest and, and just helping to answer her clients and patients' questions around it and other dietitians' queries. And so she wrote a book, and so that's why we have her on, just to get to the real deal on on that. Perfect. Yeah, that'll be uh, a good one to tune into. Awesome. Well, uh, in the meantime, we can check out our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, our website at mywifethedietitian.com, email mywifetherd at gmail.com. You can always email us your questions and comments and... Uh, if you just want to chat about whatever, that's fine too. We love hearing from you guys. So, uh, And let us know if you've ever had your DNA tested to see what, uh, you know, just what your genes say about different conditions that might crop up for you in the future or your family history. And it's really interesting field of nutrition. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 
I'd, an I said, emerging field. I said to Sander, we should get like get mine tested and get Halit back to to discuss it and and to go through it. I think it would be kind of neat to just sort of see what it's all about. So we'll see if we can make that happen. And don't forget to rate and review the show. That always helps, and uh, we always appreciate your feedback. So until next week, have a great week, everyone. Bye, Rob. Thanks for joining us today on My Wife the Dietitian. If you like what you heard, don't be shy. Leave us a comment or review and be sure to share our podcast with your friends. If you'd like to hear more, hit that subscribe button. You can also follow us on our social media pages for updates, episode trailers, and other odds and ends. For more info and links on what we discussed on today's episode, check the show notes. We'll be back next week with another informative and fun-filled episode. 